Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And hi, we are definitely on the road today. We're up at Bear Lake again, closing up up here. It's kind of sad. Summer's over and we're shutting down. It's kind of bittersweet, isn't it, Linda? Because after all the good times and now everyone's gone home, we had our had all of our family, all of our grandkids. I know a lot of you know that same feeling. You have this wonderful internet or wonderful <laughs> internet, wonderful reunion, and then you go up all by yourself to sort of close things down. And the halls are still echoing with the happy sounds of children fighting with each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Everybody's home safe after a lot of adventures in the summer, and uh, everybody's back in school, which is amazing. Um, we just had a fun reunion um, last week. I think we mentioned it on the show when uh, our daughter came from London. Oh, yeah, not to be confused with the big family reunion, but we've had a couple of mini. That's what you do when you when you can. You grab three or four kids at a time or a part of the family at a time, and We had the one in New York, and then we had another one here, all centering around baby Moses, of course, the newest, newest member of the family. And, of course, also this week, Linda, we were we're, we're picking back up on our grueling speaking, but we love it. We were in Detroit this this week and had a great, I didn't think it was a great meeting with a wonderful group of parents, all of them just so we'd we'd spoken to some of them before, which made it really special because they had worked on the family economy and they had worked on getting their kids' entitlement attitudes dissipated and a couple of them had worked on the how to talk to your child about sex dialogue that we had given them and they all had reports and inputs and questions and comments and we just love. We we love meeting with parents and speaking to them the first time we've met them, but I have to say, at least from my standpoint, I love it even more when we get a chance to go back a second time, and it's like a it's like a I don't know what would you call it. It's like a vaccination, like you vaccinated them and that that you're giving them a booster shot. Does that make sense? I uh, guess, but they teach us a lot too. They had oh, some great yeah. ideas, and we even found a guy who loved the word serendipity. Man, oh, a guy a British after our guy. own yeah. heart. A British guy in Detroit who who knew a lot about the word serendipity. And as some of you longtime listeners know, that's our favorite word. In fact, that's why our oldest daughter's name is Saren. How's that for a little trivia? Yeah, he, Richard tried to get me to go with the whole shoot and match on serendipity. And I said, no, they'll call her <laughs> dippity. We're not doing that. Saren is good. We didn't realize when we named her that that most people don't know the real definition of the word serendipity. They think it means a happy accident. And so they naturally assume that Saren, our first daughter, who was born on our first wedding anniversary, was indeed some kind of a happy accident. So we've been correcting people on that one pretty much our whole life, pretty much her whole life. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. We don't want to think that. Well, we can't leave you with that, though, because if you're a new listener, you wonder, what in the world are you talking about? Well, serendipity, as it turns out, just this is the briefest possible overview, Linda, but a word coined by Horace Walpole back in 18th century England after he'd been reading a Persian fable about the three princes of Serendip, Serendip being the 
ancient name of the Isle of Sri Lanka uh, before it was even called Ceylon. There's a fable about three princes who went out to find their fortune and didn't find their fortune but found something better in each case. Walpole said, hmm, we need a new word for that. We need a word for that in the English language. I will coin a word. And he coined the word serendipity. But here's the cool thing. He gave the definition because he made up the word. And the more you think about this definition, the more you will see how serendipity can apply to parenting and to planning your life and to keeping from being frustrated, basically, because the word means a state of mind whereby a person frequently, through sagacity, sensitivity, and awareness, finds something better than that which he was pursuing. Now, if we could all be serendipity, we'd all be happier. Serendipitous, I think, is the right word. Serendipitous. Anyway, uh, this is a little bit off topic, but just because that's who we ran into this week, this is just kind of the way we go in the show. But really, today, um, we thought it would be fun to talk about teaching your children some fun things at home. We call it teaching the other three R's. Now that they're in school, full-time, they're learning the three R's, and they're learning a lot of other stuff, I'm sure, but we had so much fun teaching the other three R's to our kids when they were home. Should I be your color commentator and fill in the blanks on that, Linda? Why don't you? Well, of course, the three R's are reading, writing, and arithmetic. I mean, that's the old school. That's the that's the fundamentals, right? We hope that schools will teach them those things, although a lot of you listeners know you've got to do a lot of supplementing depending on where your kids are going to school. But we felt besides those three basic academic three R's, there were three other R's that schools were never going to teach kids, and yet they were probably, I mean, I don't know how you'd make the comparison, but probably more important than those three R's are the other three R's, which are relationships, responsibility, and right brain learning. Now, two of those go without explanation. We all want to teach our kids to be responsible and we've talked a lot about it on this show in terms of the antithesis of the entitlement attitude and we all want our kids of course to learn how to relate to other people to have relationships but the third one right brain learning essentially means we think that schools focus on the left hemisphere of the brain the logical sequential hemisphere of the brain and Who's working on the right side of the brain, the intuitive, the creative, the sort of intuition type of brain where where real creativity and real original thought come from? Who's working on that? And it turns out, I'm sorry I'm running on a little, Linda, I'll shut off here in I just a it. sec, but, but it turns out that the right brain, I don't know if atrophy is the right word, but the longer kids are in school the harder time they have coming up with unique and creative answers because schools teach them all to come to one conclusion. It's called convergent learning. All you kids should come to this answer because it's the right answer. And where's the creativity in that? Where's the looking for a new answer or a different answer or a better answer? So since you did run on just a little bit, i got to go back to the relationships for a minute because one of our kids sent us the most interesting article. Actually, it was our son who's living in Switzerland about the schools in somewhere in Scandinavia. Is it the Netherlands? No, Denmark. 
Denmark. Denmark. Denmark, of course. You should know Denmark. Denmark. You're half Danish. I am. and Well, at least a quarter. But anyway, it was just amazing because apparently the Danish people are the happiest people in the world. According well, that's what to they say. They say they research. are on surveys. Yeah. And the, one of the reasons is that they have put in their curriculum, their school curriculum, especially lately, I don't know how long this has been going on, but teaching children empathy. And they actually have classes on empathy. Required courses in elementary school on empathy. How's that for an interesting school direction that we have never heard of in this country? Which is so important, is so wild, is such an awakening on the right brain because they, I think they do case studies of what if this child is, uh, you know, being mean to another child, what do you do? I mean, I'm sure they talk about bullying and so on, but also how can you help someone who looks like they're in trouble? How can you have empathy and help them understand that you know what they're going through? That is a really amazing thing to teach children. How can you sympathize with someone who looks completely different than you and who comes from a completely different background than you, how can you get inside his head or her head and sort of feel what he's feeling? What a skill. I would love, you know, if I spoke Danish, I'd be tempted to go to Denmark or to go and and listen in on how that subject is taught. But getting back to your point, Linda, that that's one of the other three R's. We really felt like, you know, if if you're going to be a great parent vis-a-vis education, how would we define that? Well, number one, you would be supplementing all the time what they're learning at school, the, the, the reading, writing, and arithmetic thing. But in addition to that, you would have some sort of deliberate approach to teaching your children to be responsible. Now, that might be the kind of family economy we've talked about where they need to earn things and they're not just given things and so on. You'd be making some concentrated, deliberate effort to teach them to relate well to other people, whether that was teaching them empathy or whether it was teaching them to look other people in the eye and to to answer clearly and to ask good questions. You could go on and on about that. And you would be teaching them some form or maybe many forms of creativity, not only not only the arts, not only write, painting or, or, or drawing or, or music, or music or... but also right brain learning in the sense of can you find similarities between dissimilar objects. There's a lot of games you can play at the dinner table. We've mentioned some of them on this show before that actually teach kids to use the right hemisphere of their brain. And I think probably we're going to get into those details in the second half of the show because there are so many fun things you do, and we wish you were sitting right here with us because we know you're doing lots of things in your own home. But it is really going to be fun to just talk about some things that we've done with the kids that have, I think, have made a difference in their long, long-term right brain thinking. Well, when you think about it, Linda, what, what are what are companies, what are what are employers looking for today? Well, they're looking more for the other three R's than the first three. I mean, obviously, they want people who can read and write and, and add numbers and so on, but. What they're really looking for is people who can relate to others, people who are responsible, and people who are creative. In this world of Internet and of all sorts of new companies and new directions and new ways to think about things, 
what a what a wonderful legacy you can give your kids if you teach them the other three R's. Let's get into oh. it a little further after the break. Yeah, we'll be right back with some real details. Talk soon. Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And we're back. Um, we are talking today about teaching the other three R's to your kids at home. Now, some of you might be saying, oh boy, just what I wanted to hear. Some more things I'm supposed to be teaching my children, and I don't even have time to help them with their social studies and now you're saying you got to teach them some other things well how about if we were to say to you that guess what sometimes helping kids with their homework and helping them with their reading writing and arithmetic three r's is pretty tough and it sometimes takes a lot of time and then sometimes is time you don't have and you sometimes end up taking some of the responsibility for the homework when you help too much and so on but I'm going to go out on a limb, Linda. You may think I'm overstating this, but I think teaching the other three R's, responsibility, relationships, right brain learning, is actually way more fun because it's the kind of thing you can do mostly through games and mostly through imagination and mostly, frankly, around the dinner table. We're going to this may sound like the oldest thing, and some sometimes it's a frustrating thing when people are saying, hey, if you've got kids, have dinner together. And it's like, wow, you, what do you want me to do, lasso the moon? I mean, that's so incredibly hard with all the schedules of kids. But honestly, we've found that families who figure out a way to have dinner together even three times a week, uh, I would say even two, but I, I really think, you know, if you can get a dinner together on Sunday and if you can find just two other times during the week when you can meet together around the dinner table, and we like to call it the dinner hour. Now, you know, you may say an hour, sitting there for an hour, and the, the kids may say, you know, I don't have an attention span of five minutes, let alone an hour, but... Honestly, there's nothing better than sitting around the dinner table and while you're eating and a little bit after you're eating, getting into some games that actually teach these other three R's. Well, or talks. Whenever we talk about this, I always think about the Kennedy family. Rose Kennedy wrote a wonderful book called Times to Remember about when her children were all young, and it was an amazing book. It had so many cool things that they did with their family, but one that I'll never forget is that they always required every child to bring a newspaper article to the dinner table so that they could talk about it together. Now, let me just say that when they have younger children, when they had younger children at home, there was a nanny in the kitchen with the younger children. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure the Kennedys are talk. the best example because they probably did have a lot of household But, it, you know, it depends they, on the ages of your kids. Yeah. If your kids are really young, you got to do, you know, a 15-minute dinner discussion. If they're older and able to talk, I mean, that's just some of the best talk time imaginable. Well, and, and whether you agree with the Kennedys' politics or not, you would have to agree that a lot of them went into public service and that 
there were some pretty outstanding things going on, which many of them gave credit to the education core of their lives being their dinner table at home. Now, I don't know that they were teaching the other three R's, so we would say, you know, uh, if you want to have them report on an article from the New York Times, that's great. You're helping them with social studies, with current events. But if you can do some games that help them with responsibility, relationships, and right brain learning, now you've really got something going. So let, let us give you a few examples. Um, one of the, and when I say our favorites, I don't just mean in our family, as we've spoken to parents and written articles and, and worked with parents over the years, those who've picked up on this, I think one of the favorite things is just having going around the table and having each child and each adult and each parent stand up and give a one-minute talk right out of the chute, no preparation, and someone else gives him a topic. And it can be, and the others are trying to give him a topic so obscure that he can't possibly speak on it for a minute. I mean, we're talking about, you know, a doorknob or, or about... Uh, uh, a doorbell, or about, or about a, a, thumb. a thumb, thumb, or or about a uh, you know a, a lightning bolt, just anything you can think of, and and seeing if someone can get up and give an interesting talk on that for one full minute. Now you do have to be older to do that, and we uh, I think maybe seven or eight they can start that. It's pretty amazing. I mean, we did a little training first and talk to him about starting with some fireworks and something that gets people's attention and then ending with the same thing and wrapping it all up in one minute. And it is pretty amazing what they came up with. Sometimes the younger ones were better than the older ones. And, and you know, sometimes they would start it off by jumping off the table or doing, you know, something to get your attention and then tying it in to, you know, uh, this, this is... Uh, or, or banging on a door. Oh, this is what we'd be doing every day if we didn't have doorknobs. And here's how doorknobs work. And, you know, just whatever it is, it sounds a little goofy, but thinking kids to get outside of their box, get them to think outside the box. Well, honey, I don't think we ever had anybody jumping off the table. Well, I did that once, remember, to try no. to get their attention. And I, I wanted to... <laughs> I got a symbol. I mean, just whatever you can do to get attention, then get people interested, and then end with something that's a bang. Let me give you another example, though. Maybe the one we personally had the most fun with and trying to get kids out of their mental box. Just giving giving kids two objects or two things, it wouldn't even have to be objects, and saying, what is similar about them? What is similar about a sunset and a piece of licorice? I mean, just, you know, the wildest dissimilar things you can think of and see if kids can come up with something. Well, I remember one night we were doing doing that and we said, you know, what is similar about a telephone and a turtle? And the funny part was the older kids looked at us and went, no, no, there's nothing, nothing similar. No. I mean, because they have been trained on the left side of their brain. But the little kids who... Well, wait, wait, wait. No, one of them did. One of them thought he had the answer. One of the older kids said, oh, I got it. They both start with T, telephone turtle. That's the answer. I'm done. And <laughs> and, and we said, no, no, good, good. That's, that's one answer. Who can give us some more answers? And then it was the little kids, right? Yeah, the little kids came up with the funniest ones. I remember Josh... Um, said, 
Uh, he was five, and he's an introvert, a confirmed introvert now in this day and age. But we didn't know it then. But he was very quiet. Much to his credit, by Hardly, the way. Absolutely. If any of you have an introvert, get the Introvert Advantage, which is a great book, which tells it all, tells the whole story. But anyway, so he just sat there for a minute, and he said they would both cease to function if a truck ran over them. <laughs> and he was That's absolutely true. That right. is a similar thing, right? Someone else said, well, they both have rounded surfaces. Someone else said, well, they, they both could be green. And we went on and on, and there were like a dozen answers. And the older kids were sitting there like, wait, 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 which one's the right answer? Which one's the right answer? And we're like, hey, you know, that's the thing. In real life, there are often lots of right answers, and that that's kind of blowing them away because, well, that's not what that's not what our teacher tells us, you know. So you get the idea: getting kids out of that comfort zone mentally, getting them to think. Now, you know, you, you, one of our daughters has a, a, a world map on their table. That's where they eat. And they're looking at it, and they're they're so aware. Do you know what happened here last night? Well, do you know do you know that Grandpa and Grandma were were here last week, and what were they doing? And trying to create citizens of the world, trying to expand their horizons. So many things you can do at a dinner table. And also, that map is helpful for ancestor stories, um, because we've we've decided that ancestor stories are a lot more important than we think they are. Um, a guy who we really like, Bruce Feiler, um, New York Times columnist, um, has come up with some research that's pretty astounding about how important it is to tell our kids ancestor stories, not only about the ancestors, but also about your grand, your parents' lives and your own life. And it really is amazing how that changes their view and helps them use their right brain as they as they go forward with problems that they're dealing with. And they have heard about these stories of, of people who've had such hard times and come through it. It really is pretty amazing. Well, and one of the speaking topics could be, you know, speak for one minute on Grandma Hazel, you know. And now, now you're combining a couple of things. You're combining sort of this family narrative, knowing about your grandparents, knowing about your great-grandparents, with the ability to put together a spontaneous little speech. Now, so, you know, that's a lot of the right brain learning stuff, but what about how do you how do you sit there at the table and teach kids more about res- about their responsibilities? Well, you know, if you if you set up a family economy of some kind as we've advocated so much, if kids have certain jobs, you can go around the table and have everyone give themselves a grade. How did you do last week? How would you grade yourself on how well you did on your job of doing the dishes or how would you grade yourself on how well you did on you're being a tutor for your younger brother, Tommy. How would you grade yourself? And kind of get them thinking about how they're doing and give yourself a chance to say, you know, honestly, that's at least as important as the grades you're getting in school. Yeah, and in fact, this brings back lots of memories for me because at one point when we had a lot of teenagers, we had five teenagers at the same time once, and um, we gave them the challenge to go to school and find somebody who looked like they needed a friend. And it was pretty amazing. Some could do it better than others, I have to say. Our introvert was not the best. But um, we have a daughter who just 
looked around and saw a girl down at East High School in Salt Lake City who was wearing black cape, black makeup, black lipstick, and kind and of seemed to herself. And had no friends and was sitting yeah. all by herself. And so she got a couple of friends to, to go with her, and they decided to sit by her locker at lunch and eat their lunch. And then when she came, they engaged her in some conversation. And that it was the beginning of a really beautiful friendship that lasted for, well, still. I mean, she still keeps in yeah, touch she with, still does. with Sadie. And it really she is. She says, Sadie, you saved me. You saved me socially. You saved me emotionally when, when we were in high school. Well, and it really is just a matter of looking to see who they can see. Because, you know, kids, teenagers are so wrapped up with mirrors. How is everything reflecting on me, on me, on me? And that gives them a little chance to look through a window and well, that's see the opposite. what someone that's else the, That's the opposite of how a typical adolescent thinks, right? He's looking around saying, who's popular? Who should I be seen with? Who should I try to hang out with? Who do I need? Instead of saying, who needs me? But kids, the, kid, the thing is, kids can develop that sort of empathetic relationship thinking if their parents are giving them credit and kudos for doing it. Then they they tend to do it and they tend to do it well, so so there's there's really an opportunity. You know what it is, Linda. It's just a matter of being aware. It's a matter of having a goal. If you're a parent, you say, "I really want to teach my child those other three R's." You will find opportunities to do it every day. It's just a matter of having it in your mind and setting up some time when you're working on it, thinking about it, and talking about it with your kids. And giving them as much positive reinforcement as you do for an A at school. I mean, you know, you really do have to kind of change your mind about what you talk about sometimes because you have to keep reminding them of how important that is. It really is um, an art that is so important to develop. We have a daughter, our oldest daughter, Sarah, some of you may know from Power of Moms, but she, um, when her kids come home from school, she sits them down and instead of saying, how is school, which is always fine, and then that's the end, she says, okay, so first of all, what did you learn today? Just one thing you learned today. And number two, who did you help today? Who did you find to help? It really is fun because they know they're going to get asked that, so they're watching for it. Well, you know, time flies when you're having fun, honey, and we're we're finished. We're out of time today, but it's so good to put our feet up and spend a little time with you on the radio thinking about the most important thing in our life, which is our children, our families, trying to do a little better. Don't feel guilt. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's anywhere near perfect. We're all doing the best we can with what we have, and it's fun to get on ours on the road, share a few ideas, and stimulate us all to try to do a little bit better. So good luck at teaching those other three R's besides everything else you have to do this week. Thanks for listening. We'll see, see you, you next, next week on Ayers on the Road.